Welcome to NTD Evening News. Our top stories tonight, national security in question at the border and in the Middle East. House Republicans this week gearing up for an official vote to impeach DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Melina Weiskup reports on that and what Democrats are saying in response. State authorities reportedly saving a little girl from the Rio Grande River today. This as Texas continues to defy orders to evacuate the area. Arian Pazdar has an update on the border crisis. The Pentagon now naming all three of the U.S. troops killed in a drone attack in Jordan. Who they are and what the White House is saying about possible retaliation against Iran. Iris Tau at the White House. Has the United Nations agency in the Gaza Strip been infiltrated by terrorists? An Israeli intelligence report reveals startling numbers. Jason Perry reports. The man who leaked former President Trump's tax records sentenced to jail. His punishment and what the judge had to say. This is NTD Evening News, live from our NTD Global Headquarters in New York City. Here is Tiffany Meyer. Good evening and thank you for joining us tonight. Securing the border becoming the main issue on Capitol Hill. Now Republicans are moving to hold an official vote to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. NTD's Melina Weiskup joins us now from the Capitol. Melina, Republicans have released the articles of impeachment that they'll begin to mark up tomorrow. What do you know so far? So there are two articles here, Tiff. The first accuses Alejandra Mayorkas of uh, not complying with Congress. This is a more contested piece. They also accused him of lying to the American people. The second point is less contested. That is that he's not enforcing the immigration laws that are already on the books. Republicans today just moments ago held a press conference to emphasize why they say this is needed. This impeachment is needed against Mayorkas. Just pointing to the sheer numbers alone, there were 300,000 illegal crossings back in December. We'll show you how Republicans were pushing for the need for this, as well as how Democrats have pushed back on the argument. Uh, and we will prevail because nobody deserves it more than this man. I call him the architect of destruction and chaos. He has created this crisis and he knows better. House Republicans have produced no evidence that Secretary Mayorkas has violated the Constitution and a hit job ordered by two people. Donald Trump and Marjorie Taylor Greene. Now, the DHS has responded to this impeachment effort on Mayorkas's behalf, just accusing Republicans of trying to keep this issue as a lingering one so they can use it in campaign talking points. Now, at the same time, like you just mentioned, tomorrow the Homeland Security Committee will mark up that impeachment resolution. And then Speaker Mike Johnson says shortly after that he will push it to the House floor for that official vote. Tiff? Melina, even though its prospects in the Senate look grim, this is a historic effort not seen since the 1870s will be the second time in history the House has considered impeaching a cabinet official. Now this while senators are negotiating changes to border policy and now the lead Republican negotiator is facing backlash. Tell us more about where that stands. 
Yeah, so like you just pointed to, Senator Lankford, he is the lead Republican negotiator working with Democrats right now on a bill that would change border policy. He's facing a lot of pushback, even from Republicans in his own state. Over the weekend, the Republican Republican Party, that Oklahoma Republican Party, voted to censure Senator Lankford for his efforts here in negotiating with Democrats on this. I spoke to one representative from the state of Oklahoma, and he says that actually former President Trump's voice and his opposition to this border deal played a role here, but also the point here, he says, was to emphasize the seriousness of the border crisis. Take a look. Former President Trump's voice uh, is an influential one. It was probably part of the picture that our southern border is wide open. So this is an extremely serious situation. Much as I respect the man for many reasons, uh, yeah, I do think it is worth a censure vote. I think it is appropriate. Now, Senator Lankford, for his part, says that if they are able to get this border deal to come to fruition, it would give the sitting president and future presidents the tools that they need to sufficiently secure the border. However, critics of this bill say that President Biden already has those tools. He's just not putting them to use. Now, as for these border negotiations, we're coming at the tail end of them here. We expect to see this text come out sometime this week. Tiff? Melina, thank you for that report. While Republicans focus on impeaching Mayorkas, immigrants keep making the dangerous journey to cross the river and enter the U.S. illegally. State authorities reportedly saving a young girl crossing into Texas today. This as a trucker convoy is set to start a demonstration along the border. NTD's Arianne Pastar has an immigration update. Footage shows Texas authorities putting up more razor wire and fencing in Shelby Park. Texas continues to ignore requests from the Biden administration to vacate the park. On Monday, CBS published this video saying state authorities rescued a little girl who tried to cross the Rio Grande near Shelby Park. South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem on Sunday blamed such incidents on open border policies. You have the Texas Department of Public Safety that is pulling people out of the river, giving them CPR, bringing them back to life because the cartels are forcing them across that river. The human trafficking that is happening because of these open border policies, it's inhumane and it needs to stop. And as Texas is making it more difficult to enter the United States illegally, more immigrants are now entering through other states. This footage posted on Monday appears to show young males from China, India and South America all entering the U.S. through California. This comes as the number of Chinese citizens entering the United States illegally has skyrocketed in the last year. Also on Monday, footage shows a trucker convoy heading to Eagle Pass, Texas. That's to start a four-day demonstration along the border. Newsweek reports that the group raised over $125,000 in donations. Their goal is to call attention to the ongoing immigration crisis. They're scheduled to head west, holding rallies in Yuma, Arizona, California and more. And former President Trump over the weekend called illegal immigration a weapon of mass destruction, being used against the U.S., and there's a 100% chance that there will be a major terrorist attack in the United States, or many attacks maybe. And it's all because of what's happened over the last three years. New numbers reportedly show that in December alone, 19 suspected terrorists have been arrested while attempting to enter the United States. Ariane Pastar, NTD News. 
The names of the dead released and more injuries reported. The Pentagon unveiling new details about the deadly drone strike on U.S. troops. The White House vowing to retaliate but not escalate. NTD's White House correspondent Iris Tao has more. The Pentagon has now announced the names of all three U.S. service members who were killed in a Sunday drone attack on a U.S. base in Jordan. They were 46-year-old Sergeant William Rivers, 24-year-old Specialist Kennedy Sanders, and 23-year-old Specialist Brianna Muffet. All of them were from Georgia. And the father of the 24-year-old Kennedy Sanders saying today that their family was going to celebrate her homecoming in just a few months. Meanwhile, also today, the injury reported climbed to 40 and the Pentagon is saying that is trying to investigate how the drone was able to cause such damage. Watch. We are still assessing what happened and how a one-way attack drone was able to impact the facility. We're not going to discuss further specifics or measures we're taking to prevent such actions or future attacks. The Sunday incident is believed to be the deadliest attack on U.S. forces since the 2021 Afghanistan withdrawal in which 13 U.S. service members were killed. Meanwhile, both the White House and the Pentagon say that they believe Iran is the one behind the attack, which is directly carried out by the militant group in the region. But as Republican Senator Lindsey Graham is calling on President Biden to directly strike Iran, the White House is saying today that it does not want to go into war with the Iranian regime. Watch. We do not seek another war. We do not seek to escalate. But we will absolutely do what is required to protect ourselves, to continue that mission, and to respond appropriately to these attacks. And we shall respond. And President Biden vowed on Sunday that we shall respond. The White House saying today that President Biden is weighing his different options as he's facing a challenge to balance the need to protect our interests and the need to avoid a war. We are intent on doing both. While some Republican lawmakers are criticizing the Biden administration for being too weak in response. The administration, quite frankly, has acted so weakly, though absolutely we do need to react in a way that will deter further attacks. And the White House today pushing back against the GOP criticism, saying that it's following a doctrine of appeasement. The White House says that's absolutely not the way how they see it. Back to you. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin returned to the Pentagon today and met with NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg. Austin took the opportunity to address the deadly attack on U.S. troops in Jordan. Let me start with my outrage and sorrow for the death of three brave U.S. troops in Jordan and for the other troops who were wounded. The President and I will not tolerate attack on U.S. forces and we will take all necessary actions to defend the U.S. and our troops. This was Austin's first time at the Pentagon in about a month. He was hospitalized for two weeks this January for complications from a surgery to treat prostate cancer. The defense chief failed to report his absence to President Biden for days. This has fueled concerns over national security, and many lawmakers called on Austin to resign. After being released from the hospital earlier this month, Austin had been working from home. Austin said he's still recovering but feels good and is glad to be back at the Pentagon. Has the United Nations agency in the Gaza Strip been infiltrated by terrorists? An Israeli intelligence report has some startling numbers. Now, several countries have suspended their funding to this UN agency that provides humanitarian aid to the Gaza Strip. 
Jason Perry reports. On Monday, Israel released an intelligence report which has put the United Nations Relief and Works Agency, or UNRWA, in the spotlight. This UN agency provides education, health care, and other social services for the Palestinian people in the Gaza Strip, and it is funded almost entirely by UN member states. Israel's recent intelligence report alleges that almost 200 of UNRWA's own staff are suspected terrorists from Hamas or the Islamic Jihad. And 12 of them are even suspected of participating in the October 7th terrorist attack that killed over 1,200 innocent people in Israel and took over 200 hostages. Following this report, over 10 countries, including the United States and Germany, have paused their funding to UNRWA, which could have a direct impact on the humanitarian situation in the Gaza Strip. An Israeli lawmaker gave his take on the situation. We have submitted intelligence material to those countries proving that UNRWA employees took part on the massacre of October 7th. Some of them actually entered Israel, committed the massacre, the raping, the kidnapping. Others were hiding hostages in Gaza. It is about time to dissolve UNRWA and to think about other ways to support the Palestinians. And he pointed out that the U.N. already has the U.N. Refugee Agency, or UNHCR, which supports refugees worldwide. Why do you need a special agency for the Palestinian refugees? It is about time to include the Palestinians in Gaza and Judea and Samaria as part of the UNHCR. Meanwhile, the United Nations said that anyone involved in acts of terror may face criminal prosecution. Of the 12 UNRWA employees accused of participating in the October 7th massacre, nine have now been fired and two are confirmed dead. Meanwhile, residents in the Gaza Strip say they can't live without UNRWA. Our food is from UNRWA. Our water is from them. Our whole life is from them. I suffer from diabetes and high blood pressure. Where do I get my treatment? From UNRWA. Where can we get all this if the aid stops? And according to a video released by Israel Defense Forces on Saturday, some Gaza residents are ready to live without Hamas. These individuals were heard shouting, the people want to overthrow Hamas. They were in a humanitarian corridor that was opened and secured by Israeli forces to help civilians move to a safer area. This comes as the IDF continues to battle Hamas terrorists in Khan Yunus, one of the last strongholds of Hamas. Jason Perry. NTD News. The man who stole and leaked the tax records of former President Trump will be going to jail. A U.S. District Judge in Washington today sentenced him to five years behind bars. Charles Littlejohn also leaked the tax records of thousands of other prominent people. He pleaded guilty to a single count of unauthorized disclosures of income tax returns in October. According to the man's plea agreement, he took the financial data while he was employed at a consulting firm. The firm had contracts with the IRS. Little John allegedly leaked the information to the New York Times and ProPublica in 2020, then deleted the records from his IRS laptop. The five-year sentence was the maximum penalty and what prosecutors requested. The judge described Little John's actions as an attack on our constitutional democracy. Coming up more on Trump, the former president holds a commanding lead in South Carolina and national polls, but challenger Nikki Haley says she's not going anywhere. 
What's her strategy? Arlene Richards has the latest. The second biggest foreign land owner in the United States is a Chinese Communist Party member. Our guest explains why that's concerning and what he hopes would be done about it. Evergrande, once China's biggest property developer, is now its biggest loser, being forced to shut down and sell all assets. More on that after the break. Welcome back. Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley says she intends to stay in the race, but that she needs a strong finish in South Carolina. Her goal right now, stay in the race until Super Tuesday. Meanwhile, a retired judge recommends that the Illinois Election Board keep former President Trump on the ballot. Entity's Arlene Richards has the updates. It's great to be here at Coastal Carolina. Thank former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley has a strategy to stay in the presidential race until Super Tuesday on March 5th. Haley explained her strategy on Meet the Press. As long as I keep growing per state, I am in this race. I have through every intention of going to Super Tuesday. Through, through Super T Tuesday, we're going to keep on going and see where this gets us. She said she's taken it one state at a time. Despite her optimism, Haley has a rough road ahead. I think I need to do better than I did in New Hampshire. What I do think I need to do is I need to show that I'm building momentum. I need to show that I'm stronger in South Carolina than New Hampshire. Haley remains defiant about not leaving the race. Meet the Press asked her why. Are you staying in this race in case Donald Trump is convicted of a crime ambassador? I've never stayed in this race because of court cases. Um, you know, really, I don't know what all the court cases are. Former President Trump is on fire in South Carolina. The latest Real Clear Politics poll average for South Carolina shows he's got a 30-point lead over Haley. And in the national poll, Trump is leading by a nearly 58-point margin. The South Carolina Republican primary takes place on February 24th. Besides winning races for the Republican nomination, Trump is staying on the Illinois ballot for at least one more day. The Illinois Election Board is set to vote Tuesday on a petition that says Trump should be disqualified for engaging in an insurrection under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. A retired state judge who is serving as a hearing officer strongly recommended that the petition be dismissed, saying the case belongs in a court, adding that an election board is not equipped to engage in constitutional analysis. But he said if the board doesn't take his advice, there is enough evidence to prove that Trump engaged in an insurrection. If the board votes against the recommendation, Trump could be removed from the Illinois ballot on Tuesday. Arlene Richards, NTD News. In South Carolina today, a judge denied Alec Murdoch a new trial. The disgraced attorney was convicted of killing his wife and son last year. His lawyers filed a motion on grounds of jury tempering. Was your verdict influenced in any way by the communications of the clerk of court in this case? Yes, ma'am. And how was it influenced? She made it seem like he was already guilty. Murdoch's legal team claimed that the conviction was likely swayed by a county clerk named Becky Hill. 
During a testimony today, one member from the jury said Hill told the panel to watch out for Murdoch's body language, which made him seem guilty. But other jurors said they only reached the conclusion based on their own judgment. Hill is under investigation for allegedly influencing jurors' decisions. She is also accused of using her position to sell books about the case. She has denied the allegations. But as for Murdoch, he is currently debarred, disbarred and serving a life sentence for murder, along with 27 years in prison for a litany of financial crimes. He claims innocence to this day. Turning now to the House impeachment inquiry into President Biden, Hunter Biden's former business partner, Rob Walker, telling Congress that Biden family members were not paid by China until after the Obama administration ended. Hunter and his associates started working with CEFC in 2015. That's a Chinese firm linked to the ruling Communist Party. Walker says payments for the work didn't start flowing until after Joe Biden left office. House Republicans say the testimony confirmed that Hunter's work with the Chinese company began while his father was still vice president, but that the Bidens held off on being paid until later. Walker also said that Hunter always made sure there was a clear boundary between any business and his father. Democrats say this confirms that President Biden was not involved in the business dealings. How concerned should we be about Chinese companies buying up U.S. farmland? An investigation by the Daily Caller found that the second largest foreign owner of U.S. land is a Chinese Communist Party member. Joining us now is Matt Shoemaker, who contributed to the article. Shoemaker is a former intelligence officer at the Defense Intelligence Agency. Matt Shoemaker, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Now, a Daily Caller investigation found that the top leaders of a major U.S. farmland owner are com Chinese Communist Party members. Now, how concerning is this to you? You know, when I see this, and, and I actually had the pleasure of contributing to, towards that Daily Caller article, when I see something like that, the thing that comes to mind first and foremost for me is when it comes to membership in the Chinese Communist Party. This is no joke. It, it can take years and years of vetting to become part of the Chinese Communist Party. Whenever I see that there are uh, you know, multinational corporations that own vast amounts of American farmland and they're headed up by people who are part of the Chinese Communist Party, it's extraordinarily concerning. Now, on that note, this group is the largest pork producer. It's called WH Group. It's based in Hong Kong, but it controls large areas of American farmland under its U.S. subsidiaries. Now, on the note of you contributing to the report, you told the Daily Caller that, quote, no foreign government should be owning American farmland, adding it's a national security issue. Expand on that for us. What is at stake here? Absolutely. So for first and foremost, one of the reasons why the Chinese are even trying to buy up um, farmland or uh, real estate in general in the United States is, is in an immediate sort of sense, it is just to get some sort of a return on investment. But the longer term goal of this is to have essentially a sort of Damocles hanging over our heads that if things ever went hot in terms of a war between the United States and China, they have leverage in the homeland against us. And, and things like, it, one uh, example of that would be, um, is some of these companies could buy up vast amounts of fertilizer, for example, and, and drive up the price of, of crops because of that. Uh, that would make it extremely difficult and extremely um, uh, expensive for the American people to start buying food 
Now, several states like Florida and Missouri have taken action to block Chinese from buying up land, at least near military sites. What is the solution here? What steps need to be taken either at the state and or federal level? So that those are good first steps to prevent the Chinese from from getting a foothold near American military bases. Now, you know, the problem with that is, you know, just because let's say there is a 50 mile no go zone, if you will, in terms of what they can purchase around a military base, you know, at 51 miles, if they buy buy land there and then they just go and drive nearby and start to uh, to do some reconnaissance on those areas, it certainly becomes a problem. Now, what can be done about it is it's going to take a federal um, level uh, investigation, a federal level impetus into denying uh, Chinese corporations from buying this. And so what one of the things that the Chinese end up doing is that they try to hide who exactly owns these corporations exactly. And so it becomes very cumbersome, um, which is why it's going to require federal investigation. The states themselves oftentimes don't have the resources or the manpower to conduct these sorts of investigations. Once those investigations are completed and it's determined that the Chinese Communist Party is, in a certain sense, pulling the, the strings with regards to this, that's when the federal government can step in and deny the sales or force the sale of these companies. Expanding on that, given the tensions we are seeing between the U.S. and China, how does China owning American farmland tie into the Chinese Communist Party's long-term strategy? Sure. So one of the things that the Chinese, especially under Chairman Xi Jinping, is trying to do is trying to establish China as, as not just another option in the world for, for other countries to look to, uh, but it's trying to create what's called you know absolute hegemony, not just in the region, but around the world. And so one way of doing this is to create um, discord in the United States, a, uh, an attempt to, um, in a certain sense, trying to create chess pieces, if you will, and set up their chess game so that if they need to strike, they can they can pull those options. You know, we see things with regards to uh, the cyber capabilities that the Chinese have done over the past few years uh, in terms of taking down uh, or probing, at the very least, some of our systems for critical infrastructure. That's certainly going to play a, a, an important role of things that Ever, ever went hot between the United States and China. And so this all plays uh, just another piece or another arrow in their quiver of things that they can try to do to try to displace the United States from being the, the sole superpower in the world. I honestly, uh, you know, looking down the road over the next five to 10 years, I think it will be very extremely difficult for the Chinese to succeed with regards to this based off of some internal issues that they're having. But nonetheless, they are preparing for it nonetheless. Quite concerning indeed. Matt Shoemaker, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me on. Evergrande is being forced out of business. Once it was the most successful property developer in China, now it may soon stop existing. NTD's Virginia Gibson has more. Chinese property developer Evergrande is being ordered to sell all assets and cease all operations by Hong Kong's high court. Judge Linda Chan says enough is enough, and it's time to force the company to pay its creditors. Evergrande was once China's most successful property developer by sales. Now it's the world's most indebted property developer. Financial manager Vijay Marolia says at one point, Evergrande was China's biggest borrower. Oppressed by over $300 billion in liabilities, Evergrande stopped paying creditors over two years ago. They basically have done what in banking and in a, a capital markets, what we call extend and pretend. 
extend the deadlines when they're negotiating with their creditors uh, and pretend that they're going to figure out a better solution. Um, but, you know, eventually the piper must be paid. Judge Linda Chan wants to give creditors control over Evergrande, giving them the power to sell its businesses. The asset size will be down massively. Um, some of the uh, well valuable assets under the um, Evergrande brand may be need to, you know, uh, uh, sold to um, someone else or, or liquidate in, in to for cash. Economist Gary Ng says mainland China investors may get first priority. They will likely benefit most from liquidation. Creditors from outside the country will get lower priority. It's quite likely that um, Evergrande will be broken down into a much smaller company if it still survives in the future. He doesn't believe all the creditors will be paid in full and that companies across China will be hurt. But Ng says it won't hurt China's overall economy too much. This might be a dent, a little bit of a hurdle uh, for China. Uh, ultimately, they're really gaining in the ultimate race between China and the U.S., which we're talking, right, China has a five-year plan. America thinks 90 days at the time. Moralia believes China will find a way to get past this. Virginia Gibson, NTD News. China is loosening regulations to spur the development of AI technology in an effort to catch up with the U.S. Authorities approving over 40 AI models for public use. This technology can be used to train services similar to ChatGPT. Chinese companies have been rushing to develop AI products after seeing ChatGPT's success. But Beijing has been careful about keeping development under its control. Last August, Beijing said companies that want to open their AI service to the public have to get approval from authorities. Why were U.S. leaders slow to react to Chinese farmland purchases? And what's next after the effective death sentence for Evergrande? For that and more, join me tonight on China in Focus at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time and 6.30 Pacific Time. Coming up, will the U.N. Agency for Palestinian Refugees ever regain public trust? Our guest isn't sure whether that's possible. Hear his analysis on what's problematic about the agency. And up to $40 million stolen by Ukraine's defense officials in an arms deal. What we know about the massive corruption scheme as the investigation unfolds in just a moment here on NTD News. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, here are some of today's top headlines. Charles Littlejohn, the man who stole and leaked former President Trump's tax records, was sentenced to five years in jail. He took the data while working as an IRS contractor. House Republicans released articles of impeachment against Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. This came as Texas continued to ignore orders from the Biden administration to vacate a border park. The Pentagon identified the three U.S. troops killed in the drone attack in Jordan and unveiled more details. The Biden administration said it will retaliate but doesn't want to escalate the situation. An Israeli report identified 190 workers from the United Nations Relief and Works Agency, or UNRWA, as suspected terrorists. Over 10 countries, including the U.S., have now paused their funding to the agency. Joining us now to explore the scandal surrounding the UN aid agency UNRWA, we have Gerard Felitti. He's a civil rights attorney and senior counsel at the Lawfare Project. Gerard Felitti, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. 
To begin, Israel is alleging that 12 employees of a United Nations agency, UNRWA, were involved in the October 7th Hamas terrorist attack in Gaza. How serious are these allegations? No, this is very serious, and actually it's a lot more than 12. 12 are the number that they've identified by name and face. Right now, they believe at least 190 UNRWA employees were involved to some extent with Hamas, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, or other terrorist groups that carried out the October 7 atrocities. And this is absolutely terrifying. Now, this UN agency has pushed back against those allegations, but following those allegations, the U.S. and other countries have cut off funding. Now, this has reignited debate over humanitarian aid that, getting, that gets into Gaza. Where do you see all of this going? Well, UNRWA is a very flawed institution. This is not the first time that we've heard that there are problems with, with what they do in Gaza and with the Palestinians. For many years, there have been allegations substantiated by evidence that they teach anti-Semitism in those schools, that they use examples, even in math problems, that are blatantly anti-Semitic and encourage uh, jihad and encourage suicide attacks against the Israeli civilian population. This is what UNRWA has been doing. So it's not a surprise for anyone to see the number of people involved with this. Cutting funding is something that's happened before and will happen again. On that note, Israel's foreign minister is calling for UNRWA's commissioner to resign following these allegations. Now, what steps are needed for the public's trust to be restored in agencies like this? Well, quite frankly, I'm not even sure if it's possible to, to regain public trust after all of these allegations. But the United Nations needs to clean house. Philippe Lazzarini, the head of UNRWA, needs to go. We need to see systemic change within that organization. And quite frankly, we need UNRWA itself restructured. We don't need an organization that victimizes people by keeping them in victim status as refugees for generations. We need actual help for people on the ground. And that's not what UNRWA is set up to do. Now, these allegations come as the World Court was hearing arguments of South Africa's accusations of Israel committing genocide in Gaza. Now, some are saying there is no such talk about genocide against Israel inside Gaza. What's your take on all of this? Now, that's exactly the problem. We're talking about Israel committing genocide, which is absurd, but the United Nations is ignoring the world court, the legal body of the United Nations, is ignoring the, the terrorist atrocities. This is a double standard unlike any we've seen in recent times. We really need to be addressing who the real victims are, and that's the Israeli civilian population. And on that note, this does come as there are still over 100 hostages being held in Gaza. What do you see as the next steps here? Is it hostage release, ceasefire, a new governing body in Gaza? Well, all of the above, we have seen active negotiations moderated in Qatar to have the hostages released in an exchange for uh, Palestinian prisoners in Israeli jails. We do expect that there will be some agreement on a humanitarian pause, but ultimately the only way to end this crisis, to end this war, is regime change. Hamas needs to go. And what steps are needed for to move that forward? You know, in part militarily, and Israel's been doing a great job degrading Hamas's ability to continue carrying out the war, but we also need international pressure. The Palestinian people, all people, they can't live under dictatorship, under Islamist regimes that want to do as much damage to their own people as to others. So there needs to be a fundamental pressure for change from other Arab countries as well, and to delegitimize Hamas, to no longer treat it as a legitimate organ of, of anything, and instead consider it as the terrorist organization it is. And how do you see all the pro-Palestinian protests we're seeing around the world fitting into that? 
Well, that's a narrative that is going hand in hand with the uh, accusations of genocide. We're, we're seeing we're seeing this violent rhetoric against Jews that has been all that has been with us for a long time. The problem is this rhetoric is only making things worse. We need to dis we need steadfast leadership. We need clarity, and we need to make it clear that this is nothing but naked support for terrorist violence. This is not humanitarian pro-Palestinian sympathizers. These are people who want to create a violent environment in Israel and around the world, and we need to stand. They're united against them. Gerard Felitti, thank you so much for your time. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Ukrainian defense officials allegedly stole about $40 million in funds meant for the purchase of weapons. That's according to the country's security service, which released pictures Saturday showing raids in progress. The allegations of corruption come as Ukraine is trying to speed up its membership in the European Union and NATO and secure more aid from the U.S. The alleged embezzlement involves a contract for 100,000 mortar shells from weapons supplier Lviv Arsenal. The order was placed in August 2022, just months after the war started. The money was paid in full up front to the company, but no mortars were ever delivered. Ukraine Security Service, or SBU, said five suspects were indicted for fraud. Those include former and current high-ranking defense officials, a top manager at Lviv Arsenal, and a representative of a foreign commercial group. The SBU said one of the suspects was stopped while trying to cross the Ukrainian border. Ukraine's prosecutor general said the stolen funds were seized and would be returned to the defense budget. And Lviv Arsenal told local media that the person responsible for the ammunitions contract has been fired. This scandal comes at a bad time for the Ukrainians. The Biden administration's request for $60 billion more in assistance for Ukraine is stalled in Congress. Some lawmakers, including House Speaker Mike Johnson, are demanding more oversight of U.S. funds. We need the questions answered about the, the strategy, about the end game, and about the accountability for the precious treasure of the American people. Since Russia's invasion, the U.S. has committed at least $44 billion in military assistance to Ukraine. The Ukrainian Security Service said the embezzled money came from state funds, not money from foreign aid. Coming up, a culture characterized in dance. Shenyan audiences in California are saying the performance is beautiful, coordinated and strong. Find out what their favorite parts were. And in Olympic news, a doping verdict two years in the making. Dave Martin joins us to break down the Camila Valieva decision. That's coming. Welcome back. Shenyan Performing Arts wraps up at California's capital city. Sacramento audience members applauded the performance, saying the dances showcased a message of good versus evil. Audience members watching Shenyun on January 24th and 25th in Sacramento said the performance was very moving. They also appreciate the storytelling through dance and music. I thought it was fantastic. I uh, loved all the characterization, the history of China, how they took us through so many different scenarios and where China is today. I almost wept because it's, it's so marvelous. It's so beautiful, so coordinated, so, so strong. I love the graceful sleeve dance. That was so beautiful how they would like throw out the scarves and then bring it back in. It was beautiful. I think what really stands out to me is just the ability to like tell a whole story get all of the context and really understand 
the details of the story without any words. Uh, and that's really impressive. Ancient Chinese believe their culture was inspired by the divine. Shenyun incorporates those elements in many of its pieces. I loved the spirituality aspect of it and the singing and the music. The orchestra was fantastic and I just really enjoyed every bit of it and how they changed it up every different scene and every, um, every time they would do a different dance. It was a characterization of something else within the culture and I really enjoyed it. I've learned that there's a lot of spirituality in everything that they do. Also that it's just this beautiful culture that is, it seems like it's getting suppressed, which is kind of sad and it's losing its ability to uh, like share it with their children and pass it on through the generations. Everything comes from the divine, except evil and we have to have peace and this this is a very peaceful performance and and it's showing the contrast between good and evil under the chinese communist party china's rich heritage was nearly lost but shen yun aims to revive that ancient culture by performing on stages around the world i think it's sad that you can't see it in china today and i think it's sad what's happening over in that part of the world um, but i think uh, Efforts like Shen Yun help celebrate traditional Chinese culture, and I think it's good to share that with the world. We're lacking too many morals these days, and I really think that uh, inspiring things like that would work good. NTD News, Sacramento, California. And now for your sports news, we're joined by NTD's Dave Martin. Dave, a big day in the NFL yesterday as both the Chiefs and the 49ers won to set up a rematch of Super Bowl 54. How similar are these teams to the ones who played four years ago? Well, Kansas City is similar in that Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey uh, are still what makes a team go. Although without Tyreek Hill, who's now in Miami, their offense is really not elite anymore. What they do have is a dominant defense that really has carried them through three playoff games so far. Chris Jones is still the anchor there, but their secondary is especially tough now too. Now San Francisco is much different on offense. Four years ago, they had Jimmy Garoppolo, a quarterback, and a number of different options at running back. Now they've got Brock Purdy and Christian McCaffrey at those two spots, respectively. Both are among five finalists for MVP award this year, so it's really quite an upgrade. And it's rare you see a team retool like this on offense anyway and head right back to a Super Bowl in this short amount of time. They're really loaded on both sides of the ball, though, I would say. Well, now shifting gears to the figure skating world, big news today regarding Russia's Kamila Velieva as her results from the 2022 Olympics have essentially been wiped out. What does that mean for U.S. figure skating? I mean, it means the International Olympic Committee will most likely award the U.S. the gold now. Reports are that they'll get their medals possibly in March. I mean, they've literally been on hold for two months now. Now, to review, Valieva was a 15-year-old sensation who took the games by storm with her quad jumps. Her performance in the team event really vaulted the Russians to gold, but then just like hours later after that, it was revealed she had tested positive for a banned substance two months prior at the Russian National Championships. The timing left a really bad taste in everyone's mouth. Russia's doping agency then cleared her of any blame. I believe the excuse was that the positive test was due to a mix-up with her grandfather's heart medication. The World Anti-Doping Agency, though, clearly disagreed. They recommended a four-year ban retroactive to when she tested positive, so that's before the Olympics, meaning they would be thrown out. The Court of Arbitration for Sports agreed today, so it seems they got it right. It's just too bad it took this long.
Well, what happens to Valieva now? Is she eligible for the next Winter Games? I mean, yeah, if she qualifies. Her ban would end right before the next Winter Olympics 2026, which is going to be in Italy. The thing is, reportedly, she's dropped off a bit, isn't considered the favorite anymore. Now, admittedly, that's subject to change. I mean, she's still only 17. Now, another thing, another thing to remember is that Russia invaded Ukraine shortly after the last Olympics, and they were already being sanctioned for their state-sponsored doping scandal of 2014 at Sochi. In fact, Russian athletes were competing the last Olympics under the Russian Olympic Committee name because of it, though most thought the IOC really went easy on them. Certainly, they don't want to penalize you know, individual athletes for their government's crime, but I mean, something had to be done, of course. In any case, no one really knows what the IOC will do with Russia with, with this Ukraine situation if it doesn't change, uh, but Russia is really in hot water with them already. Well, now moving over to baseball news, a rookie player for the Detroit Tigers who's yet to make his debut has already signed a contract worth nearly $30 million. Now, for the NBA and NFL rookies, that would be no big deal, but why is it so rare in baseball? Yeah, I mean, in the NFL and NBA, when you're drafted from college or really wherever, there's a very good chance you'll make the team immediately based on, of course, where you're drafted. For a first-round pick, it's pretty much a guarantee you're going to play that first season. Not so for baseball. When you're a first-round pick in baseball, you'll at least get a multi-million dollar signing bonus, but there's about a 99% chance you'll start your career in the minor leagues making very little money. But even for first-round picks, history shows you only have a slightly better than 50-50 chance of even reaching the majors. And even then, it's going to take three or four years for that to happen. Now, if you do make it, though, you start with a salary really in the high six figures. It's not until you've accumulated several years of play that you can actually get into the millions. So with this deal for this rookie from Detroit, uh, I believe his name is Colt Keith, he's giving up bigger future salaries in exchange for more money. Now the team is taking a chance that he'll work out, but of course there have been plenty of top prospects who don't. It really highlights how baseball is such a get tough game to scout and even predict, really. Well, Dave, as always, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Tiff. And that's all for today's news. For the latest updates, you can subscribe to our newsletter at ntd.com newsletter. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Good night.